Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Trey Wallace of Fox Sports Knoxville 105.7. Trey and I used to co-host a radio show together in Nashville. He's one of my best friends. I'm looking forward to talking with Trey about the state of the SEC football season with COVID and what the plans might be other than the current 12-game schedules that teams already have announced long ago. We are needing a title sponsor. If you are interested in that, please reach out to me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. Our news today is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you've been injured in an accident. Call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, as of this broadcast, the SEC has not announced a plan for a football season in terms of revised schedules that may happen soon. Trey and I will discuss that in the podcast. In the meantime, the Big Ten has gone to a 10-game conference-only season. I expect other leagues are going to follow suit. Trey Wallace appears on our guest line, which is brought to you by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. Had no clue how comfortable sheets could be until I got them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you have the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Trey Wallace joins us today. If you have listened to me for a while, you know that name. Trey was my co-host when we were on the radio. Trey, you and I have looked for an excuse to do something like this for a while. You have pretty good intel from the SEC office and SEC contacts a lot of times. So I thought, what the heck, great excuse to do this today. Trey, I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, buddy. We talk every day anyway, so why not throw it into a podcast? So exactly. Working out well. <laughs> exactly. Well, we are going to get into SEC scheduling, the chance that the league will play football, those sorts of things, which God only knows, but you hear a lot of things, and so do I. But before that, um, you know, people know you and I have a lot of – familiarity you worked with me in Nashville and you and I are you're one of my closest friends in the world and we talk a lot off air and I know that you know a lot of stuff from the SEC you hear a lot of things coming out of that Vanderbilt's media relations announcement this week was a thing that caught me by surprise it had us all scratching our heads what was the reaction that you got as you talked to people in and around the SEC? Uh, kind of uh, shocked is not the really the right word to say. Uh, look, Vanderbilt always does things their way. And that's conversations we've had, I've had with multiple people. It, it's it's the Vanderbilt way, quote Vanderbilt way. Um, but when you when you go to the links that they did, and, and look, communication has been bad between, you know, with football, basketball, baseball, you know, all indifferent with that media relations department and not everybody. There's a lot of good eggs that was in that media relations department. It just felt like the message from the university compared to what the athletic department was putting out was somewhere always in the middle. And so when the news broke 
you know, I get a text from you that morning and then, you know, you're tweeting out everything. And so I start making some phone calls and, and it was shock, like in a sense of, you know, I talked to three different SID departments in the SEC and, you know, they had heard some things might be going on, but the fact that the way they went about it and the fact that they did it, how they did it on that day was completely, people were just mumbling about it. Because the problem is, you know, I, I put it like this to listeners of my show. I said, what if you in one day decided you're going to get rid of uh, Tom Sakovic, the men's basketball SID, Bill Martin, football, Sean Barrows, baseball. Uh, you know, you have Kimberly Hood in media relations. You've got folks that handle, you know, women's basketball, soccer, golf, you name it. You're getting rid of this whole department. And then you're trying to say, okay, you guys can, you know, we're letting you go, but you can come back and reply, which in my opinion, reapply. In my opinion, that's a slap in the face. Because this, and here's what else I threw out before I tell you what the SEC people at the SEC said. The same day that this happened, I got curious. I went on a job board site because I just like looking at crazy things. So I went on there. All of a sudden, I find four positions that had just been posted that day for those jobs. And it absolutely kind of shook me a little bit in a sense of, wow. I can't believe they were this brazen with their attempts and what they were doing. And around the SEC, it's almost like they threw their hands up. They're like, okay, what else is Vanderbilt going to do now? Like, you know, the football funding, the stadium, everything that's gone into that, basketball, buyouts with 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 the athletic directors, you know, it seems like there's a new surprise every couple months with Vanderbilt. And they're not small things either. Like, that's the big thing about this. Like, it's not small. They're, they're always big. And it always makes the conference just look horrible. I mean, you're in the Southeastern Conference. When you get a check cut at the end of the year between $40, $50 million, you are expected to put that towards athletics. Now, if that's scholarships if that's paying for certain things, if that's administration, if that's baseball uniforms, who cares, what not, that's what you're expected to use it for. I just feel like Vanderbilt has wasted so much money of the SECs over the year and not really even touching any kind of endowments or anything that the university in itself has. It just seems like they've handled athletics so wrong, and I feel just absolutely gutted. I mean, you know, and, and I made phone calls right after and I'm talking to people and I'm just in shock. Like, I'm like, wait a minute, how do you get rid of a whole department? Like, who am I going to call and say, hey, I'd really like this interview with this coach? Or who am I going to call and say, hey, look, I need you to comment on the record about this story. Hey, look, I need you to, you know, talk off record to me a little bit Give me some background because I'm about to run a story. It, it, it's just, you know, I don't think the university understands what they're getting into. You know, I talked to one SID yesterday who said he had just finished up his 74th player profile for football. You want to tell me that folks that don't know a darn thing about football or baseball or basketball 
are going to be able to do the work that these people are so good at. Chris, I was shocked, disappointed, mad, uh, and I just felt horrible for the, the people in our business, uh, you know, because we're all one big family at the end of the day. The universities, the media, we all work together. I just felt horrible for them. I did too, and of course, some of those candidates are willing to get their old position back, which is kind of screwy, but Vanderbilt's right. not the first place to try that. But here's what I'm thinking, okay? Why would you want to go back to work for Vanderbilt after something like that? Plus, you're now going to be under the thumb of the university's media relations office, which has proven many times it does not connect with the pulse of the sports fan. So there's that, and, and I guess yeah. people could say, well, they can bring in outside candidates, have other people come and get that job. Hey, if I'm somewhere else in media relations with a stable job, I'm not going to look at that and see what Vanderbilt just did to the people in that office and go take that job. Are you? No. And I make a perfect correlation. I worked in a media relations office for the athletic department at the University of South Alabama when I was in school uh, up until I graduated. Helped out with the basketball team, the football team, getting that off the ground once it started. Um, and, and I looked at that job and I was like, cool, man, I'm, you know, this is great. Ben Collins doing this type of job. If I was at a school like Louisiana Lafayette, South Alabama or Louisiana Monroe, who knows, whatever. And Vanderbilt calls me up and, and says, Hey, look, you know, we saw your resume and we'd like for a second interview and talk further. You know, I, I, I'd be hesitant because that's not a job that I know that A, is going to be reliable for me for years to come because you just don't know which way the university swings. But also, go back and look. And I posted a tweet the other night with all those postings in there uh, 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 on the website of Indeed.com. And every single one of them has, okay, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, you're going to be working, you know, doing stuff for Vanderbilt Athletics, but you're going to be working under the university, you know, the Vanderbilt University Communications Department. That's a completely different entity than compared to an athletics media relations department. Pretty much, you're just going to be working for the public relations, you know, committee or whoever runs it for the school. And it's it's just it's so different. And and people, I don't think people quite understand the difference. And that's hey, that's that's really understandable in itself because you know a lot of times it's hard to make that distinction. But you know, Tennessee's got I would probably say. 25 people that work in media relations, probably more. I'm just trying to count off the top of my head. Look what LSU's done, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi State. Hell, Kentucky, Chris, puts out a heck of – does a heck of a job when it comes to media relations and in their graphics and video. I just think it's a slap in the face to the SEC as a whole. I think it's a slap in the face to the Vanderbilt fans who continue to be pushed this crap that has been thrown out for the last couple of years, not to their doing. And you know what? I'll say this, not to even the doing of the people in the media relations department, because they're getting their knowledge and they're getting the words to put out from somebody else. So it, it's a cluster and an event, you know, if Vanderbilt called today, hey, we want to offer you a job and be like, well, okay, you're going to, I'm going to need a four year contract. Three of those are going to be guaranteed. And you know, you got to do a lot better than what you've done to your previous employees. This is a good segue into where I'm going next, but we believe the SEC schedules are about to be blown up and reshaped. 
I think that they are going to play 10 conference games is what I've been hearing. And I'm just thinking, okay, that means you're going to add a couple more opponents. <laughs> I'm just imagining a schedule to where Vanderbilt is opening its season that first Saturday in September, and it's hosting Alabama or LSU with this giant media crush that's going to come with it. And just seeing how all these people, Vanderbilt is going to, actually it's kept on some people in this media relations department uh, right up until game week or maybe the day before. I don't remember where that falls on the calendar. I think it's a couple days before. But point is, it's going to be breaking in all these new people. And what if you have a home opener, like I said, with an LSU or an Alabama or an Auburn or one of these entities that, one of these schools that has a huge media presence that follows with it, all of a sudden you're going to have that and you're going to have all those people handling media stuff. I mean, <laughs> you know, and maybe maybe we won't get in. Maybe they will lock the media out. I don't know how they'll do it, but I'm just imagining you got the ridiculousness of what they're trying to do and trying to get those people hired and up to speed combined against the backdrop of a game like that where the demands on the media are going to be crazy. I'm just envisioning what kind of circus that could turn into. Now, I'm guessing the league, well, it may, maybe they factor that in and say, hey, given the mess at Vanderbilt, we might not want to try that the first weekend of the year, but I've had that thought. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, and some tweets that I've seen from play, uh, people that have been let go, it looks like, like September 4th is the date, which would – coincide with that for it just sounds like to me the only reason they're keeping people on and and you know this is horrible um is to teach the people that are there how to do the job and to me that's just not right don't don't lead them on hope if you're going to keep them on and make them work and here's the last thing i say about it if you're going to keep the people on that media relations and the imaging and the video department on just so you can get to week one just so you can um, uh, coach up the people that are already there, you know, that that's a slap in the face. That's something where it's like, you know what? Just pay me for the last two months that you owe me on my contract. Let me go do my thing. Let me go search for another job where I'm not in here from eight to five every single day. And you know what? Media relations people work a heck of a lot longer than that. They pull 15, 16 hour jobs. There's times where I'm calling a basketball SID or somebody in media at 10 o'clock at night asking for a statement or they're sending out emails. You know, it's just, I, I, I don't agree with it. I think that the, I think that Vanderbilt in itself will have a problem uh, once everything starts coming to fruition with the schedule, which we'll get into here in a minute. Um, and uh, look, they asked for it. They're going to get it. They better be prepared for it. And when things don't go the way they want it to go, they're going to be begging for some of these people to come back and if I was them, hopefully I'd have something better and moved on and say, look, you've screwed over enough people. I just don't want to be involved anymore. Let's talk about the SEC schedule, Trey. I'm hearing 10 SEC games, as I said before. Is that consistent with what you think will happen? Yeah, that was consistent with what I was told last night. Or actually, you know, kind of a couple hours after the Big Ten uh, and made their decision. Like this was, um, this was something that was like mentioned and I'm trying to put this the best way. This was something that was mentioned. These commissioners have, have two or three conference calls a week. Um, but the problem that happened yesterday 
is nobody knew the Big Ten was going to come out and do this. Like, they really hadn't kept everybody up to date with how they were going to go about their scheduling, even though this was on the table when it came to the different commissioners around the country. I mean, they've they've talked about this along with other contingency plans. Um, but the fact that the Big Ten came out and did what they did, it put everybody at a point of like, oh, man, okay, here they go. Now we got to go. You know, this is the way it's going to have to be played now just because if we don't do it and the Big Ten's doing it, it's kind of like what happened with basketball. You know, I'm sitting there in Nashville getting ready for the, you know, the, the SEC basketball tournament. Well, what happens? The Ivy League cancels there. What happens after that? Everybody goes the same route. And, and, and I know that was kind of different circumstances, but what I'm getting at, it kind of fits the mold here. Like, okay, Big Ten goes. They're losing out on these huge marquee matchups, and that big one between Ohio State and Oregon is the one that really stands out to me. And there's, there's at least seven more, um, you know, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Michigan, Notre Dame, there's, there's a bunch of them, but I, I look at what the conference is doing. So the SEC is, um, they were already going to have a meeting uh, with the athletic directors. Now, was that meeting going to be on Monday originally? Absolutely not. But they are flying them down there on Monday. They're going to meet in Birmingham. They're going to meet in person, probably in some ballroom, somewhere, some hotel, six feet apart. And they're going to come up with the plan that they're going to put in place. And everything that I've heard uh, and am hearing is um, they're going to go 10 games. They're going to try to figure out the SEC. You know, if you're, you know, I, I, live, I cover Tennessee. So, you know, Tennessee has their SEC East games. And then they play Alabama and Arkansas this year out of the West. Arkansas is kind of the, uh, the rotational one. Alabama is always the same. So I'm looking at it now. And I'm thinking, okay, who are they going to add in here? You know, you're at the end. Is it going to be a Mississippi State, LSU? So they're going to, each team's going to have to add two. So I'm interested in how they're going to flip flop this thing around and decide, okay, who's going to get the home game? Who's going to get the away game? You know, how concessions going to be word out, which I don't think there are going to be a lot of fans, anyways. But yeah, we're about to see something completely different where, you're going to be playing this many games and it's going to make it very interesting at the end of the year when it comes to a championship. Cause I thought all along, if you really want to quote, shorten the season up and make things work, play your play, every opponent in your division and then have a 14 type playoff towards the end of the year that would get you to those certain amount of games. So Tennessee would play, LSU in a semi, and then, you know, Florida would play, I don't know, Alabama in another semi. And then you figure out who plays, you know, for the for the SEC championship there at the end. So a lot of things are going to go into work, and the SEC didn't want to make an announcement, Chris, till the end of the month. I mean, they were you – know, I heard that from three people yesterday. They were shooting for that August 1st timeline where they had more, you know, a little more gray area to work with until they had to make that decision, but it looks like it's going to be forced to hand. Do you think they will try to keep as many games that are already scheduled as they are? For instance, Tennessee comes to Vandy, right? I think that they probably will already made their hotel reservations and all those things. I would think that keeping as many of those in place would have to be a priority 
just because it's a logistical nightmare otherwise. But there's probably going to come a point in time where some of those things conflict with each other as well. In other words, you might want Vanderbilt playing, say, Arkansas, but can't find a weekend where both of them had out-of-conference games to make it happen, for example. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of little rabbit holes we can go down, but do you have any idea what structure and principles the league is going to use to figure this out? Yeah, so I was asking that question this morning to a few folks, and you know, the kind of the wording I got is like, look, okay, Tennessee, Florida, that game's not going to be changed. That guy's not going to be moved around. Like Tennessee, Alabama, that one's not going to be moved around any. And then they switched everything up in Tennessee's schedule. You know, they've thrown Georgia on the back end now in November, when usually that game was right there beginning of October. The main reason they did that is for that Auburn. Uh, Georgia game and Tennessee obliged. They're like, yeah, we'll play you later in the season. That'll help us out. Um, but you look at other schools, you have to – here's where it gets complicated. So, first off, and I'll use Tennessee again. Tennessee plays Charlotte, Furman, and Troy. And that's supposed to be their out-of-conference schedule. Okay, now you got to go figure out – which SEC schools were playing out-of-conference games on those dates, who can you fit in during that time, how can you make the money situation right when it comes to TV or who gets to host those games. Um, So a lot of different things. It's going to be a tad bit complicated when it comes to how do you fill those spots, who's off those certain weeks, because, you know, week one, there's a couple big-time matchups. Alabama plays USC. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. Week one. Well, if they go to a conference, Tennessee was supposed to play Charlotte that weekend. You know, when you look at all the other big games in the SEC, Texas, LSU. You know what I mean? So who were you flip-flopping those? You know, who are you going to flip-flop Texas for to put in an SEC team against LSU? Where are you going to play it? If they already had a home game, you don't want to take a home game from them. So then you'll have to make it up to an SEC East team, let's say, with one home game. So really what they're going to do is here, they're going to, I, I, and this is me personally thinking here, I think they had one away game and one home game to every SEC team's schedule. And how they do that, I got no idea. But they're going to have to figure out a way to offset what teams would lose, even if they had small gate revenue, or even if they had that ability to host eight home games per year. So that's where it gets tricky, Chris. And and I don't have all the answers. I know there's contingency plans being thrown around everywhere right now. And that's why Monday is so important for the SEC. Well, I'm looking at the schedule and let's see what jumps off the page. Well, the first thing I looked at is that next to last weekend of the regular season where a lot of the schools are playing non-FBS opponents. And that, time and I don't know how this compares maybe my memory's just faulty that has always seemed like the weekend that just about every school in the conference is playing one of those teams this year it's eight of the 14 so that's a spot that I think you can work with you have six schools that are already playing conference games meaning for three conference games the bye weeks are all October 17th 24th and 31st so that is where you have some wiggle room I think the 31st You've got six teams off, so that's the most frequent bye week. Uh, the others, you've got five on the 24th, and you've 
got what? On the 17th, you've got two. So anyway, I would think that's the, that's the space that you work with to make some of that happen right there. Yeah, but do you – but another question that I've come across and asked a few people, do you have a set mandated date – Or I'm sorry. Do you have a set weekend off in the SEC, all schools? Do you figure out a time that would work around where they can take two weeks technically if they have any kind of problems with COVID or anything like that and try to figure out – that's just one of the questions I have. I don't think that would be able to work. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm wondering, you're going to have 10 games and you have pretty much 13 weeks to do it. So you're going to flip-flop around a little bit here. I'm interested now how many bye weeks these teams get. And, you know, do they add that extra, that 13th game? You know, do you do you add it in as an extra break for a school? Uh, do they need it sometime in, in October? Because here's what I think happens, and this is what's going to be scary. I think college football could potentially get off the ground, so they can have a takeoff, okay? But then I think there's going to be an emergency landing sometime in the season. Uh, I don't know if that's the beginning of October, middle of October, whatever. Maybe when it gets a little cooler outside, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But I think there's going to be an emergency landing. So when that happens, how long are you on the ground? How long do you have to re-sanitize? How long do you got to get your plane right? Get all the passengers off board, healthy, and everything along those lines, or you have to then get back on board, get your workouts going again, get a week of you know, training, and then you can be able to take off again and get the season finished. Like That is one of the biggest question marks when it comes to this, is we don't know how many games. Look, the Big Ten could come out and say they're playing 10 conference games. Okay, that's cool. You're saying that. You don't know if you're going to get to the fourth conference game. You don't, we don't know how this, this disease is, is going to affect, and that's the problem. You know, you, you get, you know, take, for instance, Vanderbilt or Alabama, whatever. You get 13, 14 players that come down with it, you know, turn out to be asymptomatic. Okay, great, whatever. Still don't need to be playing. And so what do you do? Do you shut it down for a week? I mean, I, you know, if you don't have Mac Jones and you don't have, you know, Najee Harris or whatever, you do, you don't have your wide receivers. Okay, well, Nick Saban ain't going to want to trot that out there, not that lineup. So you're going to have to find wiggle rooms where you can take a break if needed. And then, the you know, the whole testing and the whole telling the other teams about it that's a whole nother thing too, uh, which is going to be complicated. But I think scheduling wise, you're going to have to find yourself a little bit of room here. That's why I think the Big Ten did what they did yesterday. I just don't think they did it in the right manner. Yeah, injury reports are going to be very interesting this year. <laughs> it's like Brian Cashman said. I think he said this like three weeks ago. I, I, I saw this tweet. I guess they were holding some kind of press availability. And he said, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, if we have a player that doesn't play in a game, you're just, we're just going to have to leave it up to your imagination on why he's not playing in this game. And <laughs> if I, I looked at that and I was like, okay, that's pretty funny. It's baseball. I get it. There's not much contact. But then I started really thinking about it. So is Jeremy Pruitt going to call Dan Mullen on a Monday and say, hey, man, 
Well, just want to let you know, Henry Toto has got it. Trey Smith has got it. John Carvin's got it. Jared Garantano, Eric Gray, but they're all asymptomatic. Well, if I'm mulling, I'm thinking of my players. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want to be going up. I don't want my player to get potentially exposed to this by going up, sweating, bumping and grinding and tackling all over each other all game long, breathing on each other. So then you have the liability of another player getting it. So you're going to have to put out a COVID report. Now, look, if that comes on a, a Friday night before the game, then so be it. But you're going to have to. There's no way, liability-wise, that you could send players on that field that you know are infected with a disease and then say, hey, go tackle, go play, go breathe, go sweat all over them and potentially get players off another team sick. Like, they're going to have to share. You don't have to share it with the media. You know, and here's the thing. The media is not stupid. If there's a player that's not out there playing in a game, there's usually – now there will be three reasons why. Either he got suspended for something, either he's kind of hurt, he's tweaked an ankle or something like that, or he's got COVID. So that, that's, that's where the, the, the line is going to be interesting to see how it's crossed between coaches and the conference, Chris. What do you think the media policies are going to be? Are we going to be allowed in press boxes this fall, or is that going to vary by school? I would think that the conference would have to have a league-wide policy on that. So I'm thinking, and this is what I've been told, um, I've talked to two SIDs about this. And so what I was told to me, they they had to figure out the way to get six feet apart. You're enclosed. So take Tennessee's press box, for instance. You're, it's a, it's a pretty decent size press box, um, but you're all gathered around each other eating. Everybody goes to the ice cream in the second half. You're all working right there on the press rows. Everybody's kind of bungled up into each other. So what I've been told that could happen is six feet apart, only one media person from each outlet is able to cover a game. So, I, I work for Fox Sports Knoxville. I cover Tennessee football, basketball, baseball, all that stuff by myself. So I'm not I'm not having to worry about, you know, uh, an employee. Like, I'm not going to have to switch up or anything like that. But you've got people in the Rivals Network, the 247 Networks, the USA Today's, the Athletic, all these big other companies that you look out there and you have to think, okay, we're only going to be able to send one. Because you can't send three or four. I'm sorry. You just can't. You can't send four media reps from one outlet. It's not going to work. You're taking away space from other people. I think it's going to be that you could potentially have maybe a photographer on the field, you know, and one in the press box. Um, And then I think that when it comes to press conferences after the games, I, I look at Tennessee's press conference area and it's, not the biggest in the world. Uh, I think it's going to be Zoom. I think we're going to be Zooming with players post-game. I think you're going to be Zooming with the head coach after the game. Because I just don't know right now, with the policies that are in place, I don't know how you space it out. Like, Tennessee did something. When all this stuff went down and uh, and Trey Smith was uh, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was um, uh, right after Trey Smith's announcement. They held uh, Philip Fulmer, like held a press conference to talk about a couple different things. And there were only 10 emails sent out to people covering the team. And you got to think, Tennessee's got like 28 to 30 outlets to cover this team from TV to radio to print, all that good stuff. So when we got in there, it was spaced out. Six feet apart, the chairs were. Get about 10 reporters in there all together, and that's how you go about it. That's how I think it's going to be uh, when it comes to football. I don't think we're going to be able to – I think when it comes to traveling, um, like, you know, if if Oklahoma had – you know, if Oklahoma and Tennessee play in September, which I don't think is going to happen, but if Oklahoma and Tennessee play in September, I was told that the university would submit a media list to the opposing school, and then those two SIDs would sit down and have a conversation about it and figure out, okay, who were the four to five media outlets that we're going to pick from this list of active people that are there every day, that are at practices, that are at press conferences, not the ones that just show up every now and then, but the ones who are there every single day doing whatnot. And then that's how they'll pick who gets to go, you know, on road games. And then that'll be how like the SEC will let guys from Florida, from Alabama, um, you know, from I don't know, Missouri, Charlotte, whoever. That's how they'll figure out who gets to come to Neyland Stadium. You will not see full press boxes in the fall. What about fans? <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, and I, and I laugh because I host a daily radio show here in Knoxville for three hours, and fans are they're, they're biting, man. They, they want it. And I get it, man. I, I, got, a, I got family that have been uh, season ticket holders for, for Tennessee football. For 20 years, and I get text messages every, hey man, you heard anything? You heard anything? Am I going to be able to use my tickets? Um, I think, unfortunately, for Southeastern Conference schools, and, and, and this is college football in general, when the, Ra- the Baltimore Ravens released a statement earlier in the week, and they said, we're going to allow probably upwards of like 14,000 people, maybe fewer. And then the Jacksonville Jaguars have now released something where they said they're going to hold like 15 to 20% of their stadium capacity. It's not a lot. And I don't know. I, each program has tier systems and points. Most of them do. Um, so, you know, if you're ranked, you know, in a, in a top 800 or something along those lines, and I think you'll get in. I don't think you're going to see any single game tickets going on sale this year. Um, I Tennessee has somewhere around the new numbers have not been released yet, but I'm going off you know last year's numbers. Tennessee's got in that ballpark of 60,000 season tickets, give or take a few thousand on each side. Okay, well, you're not fitting 58,000 people in the stadium, you're not fitting 40,000, so you're gonna have to really buckle down and make a decision, okay. How do we do this from a tier standpoint where we know we're going to have to give two tickets to each player for their family to be able to come to the game? You know, do we give 500 tickets to an opposing team 
to let them come to the games, uh, which would be family and friends, which is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to help the family and friends out here. You know, two tickets per family and I'm sorry, per player. Well, the, the, the season ticket holders that have seats on the 40 yard line, don't be surprised if you're sitting on the 10 yard line when the season starts, because you've got to socially distance these people. You've got to space them out, you know. So it won't surprise you. Know, I, I was talking to the family member that that, that asked tickets the other day, right? you know. And I was like, "Hey, man, look, your tickets are on the forty-five yard line, bro." But I'm being real honest with you. Don't be surprised, you know, if you get an email saying, "Hey, you know, we've moved your tickets to the twenty or the south end zone," and and if you get that luxury of being able to go to the games, that's great. But also you have to make a decision, do you want it to go to the games anyways? And, and that's where I think everything's going to get complicated. Um, I wish all fans could get in. Philip Fulmer released a video like three weeks ago. We're anticipating a full stadium. You know, I think three to four weeks ago, a lot of people had a different mindset on this thing. And everything's changed in the last two weeks. Um, so I, I don't see how you have most fans in the stadium. I think it's a liability issue. Are you going to make every fan that walks into Neyland Stadium sign a waiver? Because if not, you come in there and you can contact, trace it to Neyland Stadium somehow, then you're setting yourself up for a lawsuit. And, and, and that's how I look at it. And I can't think of anything other than that. Um, so things get tricky when it comes to these universities in especially public universities and how they're going to go about this. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if you were going to ask about tailgating, but, you know, Tennessee probably has, Chris, I don't know, 40,000 people outside tailgating before the game. LSU, it's like a whole nother city. LSU tailgating is the best in the SEC, man. They got like 70,000 folks outside the stadium, not even going into the game, that are partying and hanging out. How are you going to do tailgating this year? You got to cut it. You're just going to have to cut it. There's no way that you can be on a public campus university, but also still try to get away with tailgating with 40 to 50 to 60 people and having these tent parties and all that. I just don't see how it works. I think fans, and I don't want to speak for fans, but I, but I think they need to be happy with if they even get football in general. And if you get to sit back on a Saturday afternoon just be happy that you're getting football because the likelihood of you getting to sit in the stands and watch your team. Yeah, I don't see feelings getting hurt in this at all. I hope not. Chris, you know my family. So, you know, when I said, hey, man, you know, you you might be able to pick one game out of the big game. Which game are you going to pick, Alabama or Florida? you got to pick one to go to. Like, those are the two big games Tennessee has at home this year. You know, they go on the road to Georgia. So who are you picking? Okay, well, we'll pick one of the big games. Pick maybe two others that you'd be satisfied with as a season ticket holder and as somebody who gives donations and, and kind of roll with it. This is, this is weird all around, man. This is something we're not seeing before. And, and, and God hope that we don't see it again and they can find a vaccine. But, you know, I look at it nowadays and what's happened over the last two weeks, and it's completely turned negative. And I mean that in a sense of there are people out there, and I tweeted about this last night, and I, I had that tweet saved for two weeks. 
And I finally just, you know what? I got to say it. There are people out there that actually think sports journalists do not want college football to happen and that will help their brand. Let me tell you something. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. And I've heard a lot of dumb things in the last four to five years. To think that sports journalists would not want college football to be around. So you're telling me I, I don't want my job. I want to go look for a job in a in an industry that's already struggling. I don't want to feed my family. You know, that I'd love to not be able to pay my bills or have my dream job. Like now it's just getting ridiculous. And it's getting ridiculous because we're at that point, Chris, where three months ago, me and you were having conversations. We're like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Are we going to, you know, are we going to have football? I know it's three and a half months away from a decision being having to made, but are we going to have football? We didn't know. Well, guess what? We're here. Like we're at the moment now. You've got to decide if you're going to have football within the next two weeks. And I think that's really starting to scare folks now. And I think reality is coming, hit them in the face real quick that potentially maybe you should have been doing something last month, but now you're sitting here freaking out because you might not have college football. And to that, I say, okay, well, you had your warning. I don't know what else they could have said for you to believe that this was happening and this is getting worse. And, you know, that's where I feel horrible for the people that were doing it right. I'm thinking back to the stadium and game day issues for a minute. Yeah. Uh, first of all, scalping could be very interesting. <laughs> With mobile ticketing now. Well, I mean, it just, there's going to be a lot of people that want to go to the games that have been cooped up for months and all of a sudden they can't get a ticket or they get one or two tickets for the year or whatever. Like, what's that market going to look like, A? Well, yeah. and, well and, and here's the other one I want to throw at you. You know, what about Fred, and you mentioned this earlier, what about Fred who sat on the 50 his whole life? And he gets in and he's told, yeah, you, your seat's on the 10 right now. I wonder how many of those people are just going to go, screw it, I'm going to go sit in the seat that I always sit in, and then what happens? Well, you're going to have a lot of, excuse my language, pissed off people. I mean, and and that's, and that's look, if the if the reasonable folks understand what's going on, then everything's going to be fine. You're going to have that 10% of people with their seats. And man, man, I give $20,000 per year. I've been sitting in these seats for 30 years. Darn it. I want to sit at the Well, bud, sorry, man. Things are a little different this year. You're going to go sit right down there. And if you don't like it, you can leave. We'll give you your money back. Or refund your donation, whatever needs to be done. But this is the plan we're going with. So either you like it, or you know what? We'll hold your spot in line for next year. You know what? We won't refund your ticket money this year. If you don't feel safe going to the games, or you don't think you'll be situated where, you know, you usually are, you know what? We'll hold your spot. You don't lose any points. You know, your donation will go towards next year. And somehow the university will find a way to back that up. To go on scalping, you're seeing all these schools go to these mobile ticketing. So you can transfer tickets. No, this is not 100%, but I've been looking online through this and trying to figure this out. So I think you can transfer tickets to other people. But here's where, here's where this lies. If you've got guidelines, 
from health department and whatnot, and you are registered online with your name, your address, your phone number, are these universities going to allow you to transfer tickets to somebody else? Because I go back to contact tracing. Like if you're going to give tickets out and you're going to sign them to people, paperless tickets, you're going to have to have a way to contact these people as well. So that part's going to be interesting to me. Um, because also I don't think you're going to, you're not going to be able to, if it's mobile ticketing, then it's not like you're printing out a ticket at home. Like I, I went to a, a, a Garth Brooks concert in Neyland uh, in November with bad ideas, cold as crap. And Garth did not sing all of this. Don't get me started. I get mad at Garth Brooks. Um, but the problem, you know, the problem we had is people printed out their tickets at home and then they brought them in to be scanned. Well, this is not like that. Like you got to have a smartphone. Like they're going to, there's going to probably be a, I imagine there's going to be a kiosk at every gate because you don't want to have to give a ticket to a vendor and then have that vendor give you the ticket back after you already scanned it because that is, you're in contact. So what I think is going to happen is you better have a smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone right now and you still got a flip phone, go outside, go out there and buy you a $50 track phone <laughs> that, you know, that can handle smartphone capabilities because I think you're going to have to scan it from your phone to get into the games. Because all they're trying to do, and you know this, they're trying to cut back on how much contact people have with each other and what is, who is the one person that has contact with everybody that comes in the stadium? Ticket vendors. So if you can cut that out, then I think things will make a lot, e lot easier. And if you're a scalper, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to walk up to the gate, scan the person in, and go from there? No, I don't. I don't think that happens, and that's why I think it gets a little bit even crazier, bud. What are you hearing on lawsuits? Some schools, like, for instance, Mercer is going to come to Vanderbilt or was supposed to come to Vanderbilt to open the season. By the way, that opening weekend is one where they're going to have a lot of flexibility. I'm sure that's going to all be conference games. No SEC teams were playing each other in week one, so there's a little more flexibility in the schedule, but – I'm presuming now we will not see Mercer in Nashville. That is a big no. guarantee game. I'm sure for that school that it is counted on, that's going to be devastating for programs like that. Where does all this go? Do yeah. those schools sue? Do they reach some kind of middle ground? How do you think those things resolve? Here's where it gets interesting to me. So I had this conversation last night with somebody about contracts. And so I went through every contract that Tennessee's got with opposing teams this year out of conference. And they owe Troy out of the Sun Belt, which is a, a damn strong team um, for an out of conference Sun Belt team. They owe them $1.6 million. Uh, they owe Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken, right around $1.3. They owe Furman $500,000. Now, in the contract that I looked at, in the verbiage, they have, you know, the whole act of God thing, the hurricanes, political war, but also there's a key word in there, pandemic. It is in these contracts. I don't know if they're in every contract around the country. I would hope so. They're basic you know, agreements to play. 
But those three out-of-conference games, I did see pandemic. Well, here's where things get even a little bit crazier. So Tennessee tries to say, or the SEC as a whole says, we're not playing out-of-conference games. Okay, well, the choice of the world, the MTSUs, the Charlottes, the Furmans, they're like, wait, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. We're not saying we're not playing. We're not agreeing. If, if I am the Sunbelt Conference Commissioner, I'm not saying a peep. I am letting all these Power Five folks come out and say, we're not playing out of conference schedule. And then you know what I do if I'm a Sunbelt Commissioner? I say, hey, man. We'll, we'll play anybody out of conference. What are you talking about? We'll, we'll play anybody. We're good. And then I would and then I would come at him and say, wait a minute. Oh, hold up here. You're not trying to pay us our money, but you're telling me that you're willing to play each other? You're willing to fly to Gainesville and play a game, but you're not willing for a shorter trip for Troy to come to Knoxville? Like, that's where I'd start. If I'm these out-of-conference folks, and we know this, man, I come from a school where, you know, these, these like South Alabama plays Tennessee next year, and that contract's for $1.6 million. That money will help towards scholarships, will help towards the funding, the, the, the buildings. You know, it sets up their academic, I mean, I'm sorry, their athletic budget for the year. You can't tell me that these colleges aren't going to be on the hook for this money, because if I'm these commissioners of these other conferences and these groups of fives, I'm not saying a word. I'm going to get through all the way until, you know, August 15th, 16th, 17th, whenever, and say, you know what? We're, we're still playing out of conference. We're not agreeing to this. You might not be agreeing to pay. Okay. So you're breaching the contract. And then also, Chris, you can't throw the pandemic part of it in the contract if you're still willing to travel to Columbia, Missouri, to travel to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to go to Tuscaloosa, to go to a hot spot like Florida or to South Carolina and play those games. So there is great wiggle room for these out-of-conference schools to say, no, screw you, man. We, we want our money. You're willing to play your conference games? You better pay us. Like I look at a school like Memphis that was going to have to go to Purdue and play this year. Well, Purdue backs out. Purdue doesn't play out-of-conference games. If I'm Memphis, I say, no, 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 no. You're paying me my money. If I'm Tennessee Tech, who was supposed to play, if I'm not mistaken, Michigan State, and Michigan State's now trying to get out of that, I'd say, wait a minute, no. We're, we're willing to play our out-of-conference games. You're the one backing out. You're the one saying we're only going conference. So you still owe us that money. Sorry. And also, by the way, you can't throw pandemic in our face and you can't use pandemic as a breach of contract because you're still playing other teams. So that's where it gets tricky, Chris. And that's where if I'm group of five teams, I stand my ground. I want my money. We agree to it. If you're going to go make a crap load of money by playing conference teams and adding conference games and getting more money from it, then I expect our money as well. That's how I'd approach it, Chris. I was out of conference. What is this going to do? to non-Power 5 teams and FCS teams long-term. And it's gonna God, hurt them. God help us if this goes any longer than, say, this fall. Brother, if, if we only get four college football games in this year and TV networks figure out a way to get out of paying 
you know, what is owed for a full season or whatnot. They look around the country. I mean, Bowling Green had to do a GoFundMe to save their baseball program. Um, a place that I know, University of uh, North Alabama, which is very good at hockey. Um, and that's the reason it stands out. A couple buddies go there. Uh, they, they started a GoFundMe for their hockey program. Um, I look at, you know, Tony Vitello made a great comment to me four weeks ago, head baseball coach of Tennessee. He came on and said, and it wasn't even group of five, bro. He was talking, you know, talking about Tennessee. He goes, okay, the NCAA has said we can have, you know, kind of unlimited type of numbers for next year. He goes, okay, well, how am I breaking up that money now? I got freshmen coming in. I got players returning. Who am I telling it's not going to get this money? How am I dividing this up? Oh, and by the way, they're not giving us any more money to play with. They're saying you got to keep it the same. Oh, and by the way, your football program is going to take a huge hit this year when it comes to gate revenue, concessions, beer, memorabilia, all that. So you're going to lose 15 to $20 million. So just think about that from a Tennessee standpoint and an SEC standpoint. Now, go put yourself in the shoes of, I'll go back to the Sun Belt, of South Alabama, Louisiana Monroe, uh, uh, Memphis, Cincinnati. Teams like this, man, it kills them. It just, it, it's going to hurt them. And that's, and that's where I feel horrible about it. I mean, Stanford, Stanford University cut 11 sports. You know, wrestling is very big at Stanford. Men's volleyball is very big at Stanford. You, you know, us in the South, we might not think about it, but I watch so much sports. I've seen it before. It's huge out there. It's huge. They're getting four to 5,000 people in there watching that sport. It might not make any money, but it's big. Now, you look at how that's going to hurt the, the, the rest of the country, man. I just... I'm sitting here kind of waiting, man, because if things don't go to plan this fall, you're going to see a lot of sports take the hit because as we both know, you know, football pays the bills. Well, sometimes men's basketball will break even. I know when Tennessee had Admiral Grant, you know, made their big run, the number one in the country and all that, they turned a little bit of a profit because they were selling out every game and selling memorabilia and stuff. They turned a, a small profit. But at the end of the day, man, women's basketball is not producing any money. God love them. We, uh, you know, I, I love women's basketball. Softball is not giving you money. Swimming's not making you money. Lacrosse, you know, track and field. You're going to have to make the hard decisions, Chris. We have to cut some of these sports. And that's an unfortunate conversation that I don't want to be around, brother. What happens with Title IX as it relates to sports after all this is said and done? Bro, I don't know. That I, I, I really don't know. Like I, I, That's a conversation I've been thinking about over a month. I don't know because you're going to have to divvy up things so much. You know, you take one away, you got to add another. If you add one, you got to take another away. You know, I, I, I think of it, you know, Vanderbilt's got a good women's soccer program. Vanderbilt's got a uh, lacrosse team. Um, as well, I look at these these different types of teams around the country, and then I try to configure that with the men's athletics, man. And I I don't know. It's going to get real tricky. I, I wish I had the answers, but 
you're going to see some of you're going to see some decisions that aren't favorable to a lot of people. Um, and it's, it's sad and unfortunate. I just don't see how some sports make it. And um, hopefully they can come back once these things get rolling again. But uh, I have a feeling we're going to have some very uncomfortable conversations. These athletic directors are with a lot of these head coaches around the country and uh, especially women's sports. And, and I, and I hate it because I love, I love women's softball. It's fun. It's fast. It's fun. I couldn't hit a ball coming from one of those pitchers if my life depended on it. And I find the game just fascinating to watch in a lot of sports, swimming, diving. I've, I've been to, you know, it's cool. I've been living in Knoxville for two years. I, I never went to a college swim meet before or a diving competition. And I've, and I've gone and done that just as a spectator. Um, I feel for those kids that put all this work into these sports because I just don't know how long it's going to be able to last with the money that's going to be lost from these universities. Because, Chris, I'll leave it at this. If, even if we have football or not, man, these schools are going to lose money, and they're going to lose a big amount of money. Um, it's just now how is that going to affect the other sports that are being paid for by that football money. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan and independent insurance agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. If you need home, auto, motorcycle, renters, landlord, life, or commercial insurance, Josh is the guy to contact. Call him at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Facebook at J.D. Minton HQ. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try, and I think you'll be pleased. This one comes from Mr. Vandy. Do you think the league office should step in and put some pressure on Vandy to do some upgrades to facilities or whatever is needed? Uh, I think that the SEC has had long enough time to say something to Vanderbilt. I think it's time to actually do something. Um, I, you know, I, I remember four years ago where the whole stadium thing came to life and it turned out to be kind of just like a, I don't want to call it a farce, but it kind of, a lot of broken promises is the best way to put it. A lot of, a lot of public statements to make the the fans feel good, but really nothing to come out of it. And I know that's hard. Um, but I, I think it's time. Look, I'll give you a basic answer. If you're going to continue cashing that $44 million check, we better start seeing some results coming from your academic and athletic department combined, um, or or we're going to start cutting you out because Vanderbilt's making too much money from the SEC. And I know that's a small percentage of what they make as a university as a whole and their endowment, but they're taking too much money away for, for, for Vanderbilt baseball just to be the main focus of the conference, Chris. What can the universe, or excuse me, what can the conference do? Do you know? No, not not legally. I mean, I don't, and I don't want to speculate. But I would think Greg, I would think Greg Sankey, you know, can have a very nice phone call with this new chancellor and give them some options because, you know, these guys have been having conversations three or four days a week now, uh, especially over the last three to four months, and uh, I, I just. I don't feel Vanderbilt has spent the money that they've been given by the SEC on enough things that would help the student athletes. That's just my personal opinion. 
Um, I think they could do better, and I hope they do better um, because those players deserve it. There's some great people that work at Vanderbilt. Um, I just don't think the resources have been um, flown out enough for them yet. No, they haven't. Um, no. Last one from Ann Arbor door. Part of the criticism of the NCA has been it has not published COVID guidelines for school sports teams, things like testing guidelines, transparency of team infections, play or no play guidance, etc. Do you know if the SEC office has or will be issuing guidelines like those mentioned above to minimize the risk of infections? So are we talking about doctor's orders pretty much of what to do and what not to do? Is that kind of? Uh, I guess it could be. I mean, I think, uh, look, I think the SEC, along with the doctors that they trust uh, in their community and, they, and, they, and who they've been relying on for the last four and a half months have been dealing with this. And then the other years that, you know, you have your regular doctors on staff. I think they're giving going to give them guidelines on how each school should go about handling um, you know, the, the protocols of, of COVID and everything that goes into it. But also, you know, these, these schools have, these schools have some of the best doctors, you know, in the country. And hell, Vanderbilt's got Vanderbilt University Hospital behind them, man. I mean, you won't find many better doctors in the country than what Vanderbilt has. So I, I think you're getting guidance from your local communities, but also I, I think protocols and whatnot, that's going to be tricky because it's each institution. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you can try to mandate something, but I think it would have to come from the institution itself and not the SEC. The SEC is not a medical governing body is the best way to put it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Trey, anything else before we end today's podcast that you can think of that might be a relevant discussion point? No, I would just say um, – I would just say it's it's hard on everybody. Understand that we all want sports to come back. Understand that the people covering these teams are trying to give you the best amount of information that they can in regards to what is going on. But right now, there's just not a lot of stuff out there, and there's not a lot of sports going on. And there's so there's only so many times that a athletic director can say, "Man, we look forward to having a lot of fans in the stands," or or we're playing football, or this is how we're doing it in the fall. I, I, I hope everybody takes a deep breath over the next two to three weeks because the news that's going to come out, I don't know if it's going to be the best in the world, but I hope that you understand that yes, want to play football. You know, all these conferences want to play. These players want to play. But, but the health and safety of these athletes is the main priority. Because if you want to come across a real problem, come across a university that's got three or four players that end up in the ICU of a hospital and having to deal with those ramifications, and then football won't even be a won't even be a, a blip on the map when it comes to what is happening in the fall in regards to world sports or, or economics or education or whatnot. It only takes one, Chris. Uh, we we saw what happened in the NBA with Rudy Gobert. It only takes one NCAA Division I football player to end up in the ICU, in my opinion, for people to take a hard look at this thing and shut it down again, and also for the players to empower themselves and stand up and say, hey, whoa, wait a minute. We're not paid anything extra. We're the ones out here taking this whole risk 
and we're not getting anything on the side, anything from the university. So just watch that over the next month. Understand where the players are coming from. Understand where the universities are coming from. If you don't get picked to go to a game, hey, man, it happens. Sit back, enjoy a cold beer, watch it on TV, enjoy it in that air conditioning. And uh, we're going to all get through this together. If everybody does their job, uh, and if you agree with people, and, and I'll leave it at this. A little, It's not going to be political, but I'll leave, I'll leave it at this. Even if you don't agree with people that, 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 that are wearing masks, or you're wearing a mask and you don't agree with the people that aren't, let me tell you something. Everybody has a right to do whatever that they choose to do that's in the well-being of themselves. But there's no reason in this world that we have to argue with each other, that we have to disagree, that we have to use violence, that we have to use words that hurt other people's feelings just to get your opinion across. We're better at this. We can talk to each other through this situation. And at the end of the day, all we got to each other, man. We're trying to get through this together. Nobody wants to end up in this thing alone. So let's all work forward. It. Let's get some college football back, hopefully in the fall, Chris. And uh, I look forward to doing this again down the road, my brother. I'm into that, Trey. I hope we will see a little more kindness and decency. And look, you're not out that much to wear a mask. Maybe a lot of people aren't at risk to get infected, but you never know if you're the guy that could spread it to your neighbor. And We don't want that. So anyway, I hope that folks will be smart and kind and considerate to their neighbors in the coming weeks because it's the right thing to do for health, but also it will help us get back to the things that maybe unite us rather than divide us. And God knows we need that about now. Amen, my brother. All right, Trey, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on 3 to 6 every single day on Fox Sports Knoxville, Monday through Friday. You can follow me on Twitter covering the SEC, Tennessee, you name it, NASCAR. I'm covering it at Trey Wallace underscore. That's where you can find me. That's where I'm at. Uh, I'm usually tweeting, talking, or whatnot, trying to relax, Chris. We'll see what comes first. But I appreciate you having me and uh, look forward to doing it again. Be good and God bless you, sir. Thank you, my brother. Peace. He's Trey Wallace of Fox Sports Knoxville. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening today and should be back with some more episodes next week.